So we're entering into our last sermon of a series we've called Our Vision. We've been studying Psalm 1, taking a journey through those six verses, casting a vision for the kind of people we could become and the kind of church we could become. And we started that journey by saying that God is looking for a people, men and women who are changed from the inside out or maybe from the bottom up, were a people who are planted by streams of living water. And we said that that living water is Jesus. We're a people who abide with Jesus. And then we, we said that when you become the kind of person that is planted by those streams of water, Jesus will begin to teach you to take the long view. That the kind of person you're becoming sets your destiny for eternity. And that along the way of becoming a particular person with a particular destiny, you're picking up a certain set of habits. And we want to pick up a set of habits that are appropriate for the kingdom of God. And that's the kind of people we want to become. And so we round off this series landing in one verse that speaks, that talks about the only habit throughout those six verses. There's one habit that's mentioned in all six of those verses. We're going to land in verse 2. So let's read all six verses and then land the plane in verse 2 to end our series. Here's what, here's what Psalm 1 says. Psalm 1, the, the book of Psalms opens with verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Well, that person's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, they prosper. Th prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Verse 5 and 6, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Verse 2. Verse 2 is where we want to spend our time today. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The one habit, the one specific habit mentioned is right here in verse 2. I see three things going on in verse 2. Three things in verse 2. I see three words or three phrases. I see meditates, I see delights, and I see the law of the Lord. Those are the three things I see. I think those three things can provide insights for the way we live our life today. And I think they say something about mothers on this special day. Now, how those all tie together is going to require you to stay awake. So come with me. Let's start with meditates. Meditates a word there in the Hebrew that carries the image of chewing. It, it's the idea of active pondering. If you have a conflict with your boss right now, you may be thinking about how to deal with that tomorrow. You may be pondering that. Or if you're a baseball fan, you may be thinking about your favorite team and if they will win or lose today, you may be pondering it right now. You may be thinking on that. You may have just been hit with a diagnosis, a severe diagnosis, medically. And you may be pondering, thinking on, chewing in your mind about that diagnosis. 
There's this idea of, of actively thinking on. It also carries that image of chewing, of eating something, of just moving it around in your mouth and through your teeth. It's, often, it's why we talk about a cow chewing the cud. It carries the idea of eating something and eating it long, chewing slowly. And the reason you chew or you eat the law of the Lord is because it actually has substance. It actually carries weight. It actually can sustain something or someone. I happen to believe that in the beginning God spoke. And when God spoke, things happened. Like things began to exist. And the human soul was actually created from the word of God and lives on the word of God. Jesus himself dealt with this when he was in the desert 40 days without food or water. He's being tempted by Satan. At some point when he's hungry, Satan comes to him and says that he could turn that, that bread, that those stones into bread. And Jesus then says, Matthew 4.4, 4, he speaks to Satan, quoting from the Old Testament, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You and I take that and we often make that just one big metaphor, or one big turn of phrase. But I think Jesus knew something about the word of God that we may not yet know. That it can sustain a human life. And so here, Jesus, who has chewed on, who has eaten a lot of the Old Testament, now quotes it back to Satan in the moment of his temptation. I like the way that Eugene Peterson, who, who paraphrased the scriptures in something we call the message, it's titled The Message, this is the way Eugene Peterson translates Psalm 1-2. Instead, you thrill to God's word, you chew on scripture day and night. I like that imagery of chewing on God's word, and it brings substance. Let me say it this way. Let me take it and say it this way. If I had to summarize it in a couple sentences, I would say it this way. The happy person described in Psalm 1 is the person that eats God's word daily. They eat a steady diet of God's nutrient-rich, protein-packed word. Some of you get real excited if I would maybe use the description, God's word's like a gluten-free, organically grown piece of food that will give nutrients to your soul. God's word will do to your soul what that gluten-free, organically grown, grass-fed, I don't know, keep going, all the, all the natural words that I could put on top of that, food would do for your body. It's, it's rich in calories and protein. And it will feed your soul. And so it would make sense that you would chew on it, you would eat it, daily. We don't just eat once a day. Most of us don't. You are constantly eating God's word. And that's what that word meditate carries with it when the psalmist penned it years ago. Now, usually when you and I eat good food, we might describe that eating of good food. And we might describe the way we feel about that food as delight. Like, I delight in sausage biscuits and gravy. 
Like I delighted in it at the Continental Breakfast this morning at 9.15. I delighted in Kathy Harris's gravy and sausage. Delighted. And I know for a fact it was gluten-free, organic, grass-fed <laughs> gravy and sausage. I just know it was good for my body. Now, now, when we think of delight, we're now dealing with the affections. We're dealing the way with the way we feel, we move, we're drawn to something. Now, Throughout the scriptures, people will describe God's word with words tied to the emotions. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, King David pens descriptions of God's word. Now, I don't know about you, but when I watch one of those cooking shows like Guy's Grocery Games, I'm having a hard time keeping up at understanding all the adjectives that are used to describe the food they're cooking. They'll say, this is a light, aromatic, velvety, whatever. I don't know what velvety means. If you put a piece of food in front of me and called it velvety, I wouldn't know what you meant. Or maybe it's robust, hearty. I don't know what that really means. It's just either good or bad, or I want it again. Like, I don't really understand all that. But anything we delight in, we come up with ways of describing its beauty or its tastefulness or the joy it gives us or why it's good. And King David does the same thing with the Word of God. Take a look at these, some of my favorite verses. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 10. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. And by the way, I want stuff that is trustworthy. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord, they're radiant. They're giving light to the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. And verse 10, they are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Have you ever thought about God's word being sweet? Here David is grabbing for all the descriptions he can possibly grab in a short amount of space to describe his delight in God's word. All of that is behind the word delight in Psalm 1-2. One of the longest chapters in all the Bible is one big praise about God's Word. It's Psalm 119. Now, it would take us about 15 minutes to read that whole chapter. I'll, I'm going to pick three verses. Check these out. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. You know my prayer there? God, give me a heart that could say that. Because I'm telling you, you hand me a million-dollar check or a copy of the Bible, I might struggle. I might, not, <laughs> I might have a hard time turning down a million-dollar check. I want this kind of heart for God's Word. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your Word. Throughout the Scriptures, we see descriptions of affection for God's Word. We want to be the kind of people that could say we delight in God's word, right where we find ourselves. 
Let's take that third piece of Psalm 1-2, the law of the Lord. There's a lot going on in those few words, the law of the Lord. But at its base, we're talking about God's written word. And in our day, God's written word comes in the form of the Bible. Like, I mean the Bible that is sitting on, at the edge of the pew, or the Bible that you can click on in your phone. That Bible, the written word of God. Now, lots of people don't believe in the Bible. I get that. It's just a story, a collection of ancient myths, or it's really just a collection of antiquated, barbaric legal codes, or they're just mythic stories. I get that. I get that. And I've been there. I've, I've thought about the Bible in those ways in, for, for many years in my life, where I really struggled with understanding the value of the Scriptures. But I've come to understand, for various reasons, that the Bible is knowledge about reality. The Bible is knowledge about reality. I want to take, all of, take that statement and unpack that in three sentences. Here's the way I would say it. The Bible perfectly describes the story of God as it really is. The Bible perfectly draws us to Jesus, who is our salvation, and the Bible perfectly teaches us how to live a happy life. A happy life. I get it. There's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of theology. There's a lot of big words. And there's a lot of hard things to understand in the Bible. But at its foundation, I think those, th those three things are at the root of the Bible. And so, Paul had a way of saying that same thing, but he said it while being inspired. So I figure we'll go with him having the last word on this point. Here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. verse. We're going to start in the middle of verse 15, go through verse 17. He's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. He writes this, The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God breathed. That means it is a trustworthy foundation on which to live your life. Now, some of you like to take pictures of things. This wouldn't be a bad slide to take a picture of. Here's the way I would say all of this here. The Bible shows, uh, draws us to Jesus for salvation, and gives us a solid foundation for living. That's what I'd like to say about the Bible. Therefore, let us be the kind of people who eat God's word, delight in it, and live a strong and happy life according to it. I'm, I am convinced that the Bible is knowledge about reality, and it draws us to Jesus. And when you get Jesus, you get everything else, including a happy life. Which I'm going to guess most of you, if you're 15 or you're 85, you're looking for a happy life. And you have plenty of commercials on your TV to sell it to you. But I believe the Bible gives you that solid foundation because it draws you to Jesus. And when you get Jesus, you get everything. Now I'm going to tell you something, a little secret. It's a lot easier to say that in front of you than it is to live that out 
when I go home. But trust me, it feels really good to say it. And with a little whispered amen here and there, it really feels good. But to say that, or to sit in the pew or in your seat and be convinced of this is one thing. It's another thing to go on and live this out. You see, you and I need people in our lives that will help us live into this truth. As humans, we learn how to live from others. Any great skill is taught by someone else. From a master to the apprentice. We are always learning from others. That's how knowledge is passed on. And so in this case, I would say you and I will need someone to help us along the way here. One of the main characters in the New Testament. Main characters in the New Testament. Shining figure, even has his name on two books in the New Testament, had two special people in his life that helped him learn how to eat God's word. I'm talking about Timothy. Timothy was considered a son in the faith by the Apostle Paul. Timothy had great influence in the early church. We may not be here if it wasn't for the work of Timothy and the work of Timothy and Paul. And yet, we're going to have to ask ourselves, how in the world did Timothy learn how to eat God's Word? How did he learn to become the kind of person that would delight in the Bible? Well, he had two special people in his life that helped him along the way. So we just read this passage in, in the second letter to Timothy, where Paul describes the Bible being God-breathed. Wow, what a theological statement. What a man of God to take that in and then teach others as Timothy did. You know what comes right before those verses? Paul reminding Timothy about his story. Take a look, verse 15 and 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Here's Paul writing to Timothy. What you have learned, you've become convinced of. Because you know, you know those, that is, you know those people from whom you learned it and how. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy was being trained to eat God's Word from infancy. So you don't just get a man of God on the scene out of nowhere. It was starting from his infancy. Well, who in Timothy's life, who from infancy was training him to eat God's Word, to become the kind of person described in Psalm 1-2? Well, we get a glimpse of the answer in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Here's what we read. Paul came, this is the Apostle Paul, came to Derbe and then Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy, that's our Timothy, that's the Timothy we're learning about, whose mother... Was, a Jew, was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. We do not know if Paul's dad, as a Greek, was a believer or an unbeliever, but we do know that here Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, recording it, the history of the early church, describes Timothy's mother as a Jewish Christian. She must have been part of Timothy's story. They, she must have been part of training Timothy in how to eat God's word early in life. 
It was his mom. It was his mom. That speaks highly of mothers. It speaks highly of mothers in a time in the ancient world where mothers were not being elevated. There was no Mother's Day in the Roman Empire. Do you think there was anyone else coming alongside of this mother? Well, when he opens his letter to Timothy, that second letter, he gives us all the information we need. Check it out, 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul's writing, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Here he's talking to Timothy, which first lived. Before it ever lived in Timothy, it first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Where in the world did Timothy pick up this kind of faith? How did Timothy learn how to eat God's word from infancy? It was Lois and it was Eunice. It was his grandmother and mother and they had names. Your role as a woman of influence in any child's life, young or old, carries a lot of weight in the kingdom of God. And don't you ever doubt it. So let me pull some application for us. Remember, we got two things going on here now. We have the eating of God's word, so we have some application for the Bible and how we interact with the word in our everyday life. And then we want to have some application for you moms. So let's take both of them, God's word and mother's. Do you intellectually believe that the Bible is God's written word? Do you want to believe that? Often, we do not believe the things we do, do not want to believe. There is a famous scholar who once had a student ask him or challenge him about believing in God. Does God really exist? And before the professor answered, the prof uh, before the professor gave his answer to that question, he asked the student another one. He said, do you want God to exist? Do you want God to exist? I'll tell you, in my years of unbelief, it wasn't in the end because the arguments were too strong for atheism. It was because in the end, I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. So if you don't believe the Bible intellectually is God's word, just back that question up one step and ask yourself if you even want God's word to be God's word. And that'll be a good starting place. Let's go with another question. Do you live like the Bible is God's written word? Now, I know the answer to that question already. I'm just going to let you sit with it. Answer is no. Let's keep going. What excuses would you make if someone challenged you to memorize Psalm 1? Now, why in the world would I even bring up that question? Is someone challenging you to memorize Psalm 1? Why, yes, I am. Number four, please. Memorize Psalm 1. Take a good inventory of your life. Are you living like the Bible is God's word? The reason I say that answer is no is because every one of us somewhere in our life has something that is bent. And so as much as we might say we believe the Bible is God's word, 
We need to always be actively working that word into our bodies, into our habits, training ourselves to live as Jesus would live while here on earth. And so we really got to always have that question in front of us. And then I challenge you to memorize Psalm 1. It is the first psalm, the first major passage I ever memorized. Now, after five weeks, I think you may be close to it. So it's a good one to get into your habits, get into your mind, memorize Psalm 1. And it's an easy one to remember. What psalm was I supposed to remember or memorize? The first one. That's right, the first one. Very easy. Psalm 1. If you memorize Psalm 1, will you please tell me? It would encourage me. If no one encourages me, that's just sad. Here we go. For mothers, for mothers, for younger mothers, are you becoming the kind of person that you want your child to become? That's a question for dads too, but this isn't Father's Day. Are you becoming the kind of person you want your child to become? That's a, that's a very different question than to ask if you're living like Jesus. And then the second one, are you becoming a Psalm 1 woman? Because you will transfer your faith to your children. Now that does not mean that your child will not go wayward. You cannot control, in the end, if your son or daughter is a believer or not. But you can take a really good stab at it. By becoming a Psalm 1 person and transferring that faith to your child like Lois and Eunice did with Timothy. Now for you... Older mothers, are you praying for your children daily? Are you praying for your children daily? Just because they're out of your house doesn't mean you no longer have a responsibility. Now, I'm saying this to you with no experience because all of my children are still under my roof. But I hope one day that my wife and then that I will be the kind of people who are praying for our children daily. And I already know some of you do pray for your children daily. You older women whose children are now out of your house. And then this last one, are you becoming a Psalm 1 woman? Still, I don't care how old you are, you can still be in process of becoming a Psalm 1 woman because you're still transferring your faith to your children. You are still in process of giving them your faith. Some of you have walked with Jesus for a very long time, and your older children do not believe. They no longer go to church. They have no interest in Jesus. Do not give up on praying for them. I'm not that old, but I have been able to get to know a lot of people in my life, many of them widows or older mothers who have children who have left the faith. And they have prayed, and they have prayed, and they have prayed, and they have seen many of them, those children, come back to know Jesus. Do not give up. Eunice and Lois were not famous. They never knew that their names would be spoke across the globe for hundreds of years. They were not famous, but they were faithful. And that's the sign of a Psalm 1 woman. So you keep being faithful. Let's take this to a next step. Thank God for his word.
Now, this morning, I wanted to live into that next step. I took my journal. I don't journal all the time, but I took my journal, and I wrote the words, thank you for your word. It'll do something if you'll just write that down. It'll do something. Just saying thank you. Just say thank you. Let God do any other work he wants to do in you. He'll take care of that. You just write those words. Thank you, God, for your word. And then this next one, thank God for mothers. Thank God for mothers. I know many of you have already thanked your mothers on Facebook or Instagram. A call won't hurt or a written letter. And some of you have them right here. Before you leave, tell them again how much you love them and say thank you. You don't have to dress that up. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for mothers. I'm going to leave it there. Go with us into our day. May your word do something in us that we can't even do by direct effort. And may we become men and women, young men and young women, from 14, 13 years of age, all the way up to those in their 90s. Would we become men and women described as Psalm 1 people? May our church, in the years to come, be described as a Psalm 1 church. And under the authority of Jesus, I'm here and together.